0: Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Banking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. I hope you enjoy today's episode where we interview Dr. Mark King. Mark King graduated from Life Chiropractic College in 1987. He opened Mount Lookout Chiropractic and Sports Injury Center with his wife, Donna, Dr. Donna Maloney, in 1987. And they run a large 11-doctor multi- multidisciplinary clinic in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Dr. King is on the postgraduate faculty at National University of Health Sciences. He became the third president in line of the Motion Palpation Institute in 2001, and he continues in that capacity. And he's been an instructor in the Mo- pa- Motion Palpation Institute since 1994, and he's taught all over the world. And he, that is the crux of most of our conversation is the Motion Palpation Institute uh, and his operations within it today. He's also co-authored a case presentation for JMPT on cervical spine instability following traumatic automobile accidents. He's written over 25 articles for Dynamic Chiropractic. He's also the past president of Southwestern Ohio Chiropractic Association and is a member of the ACA and the Ohio State Chiropractic Association. Uh, Speaking of the ACA, that is one of our sponsors, the American Chiropractic Association. Check them out at acatoday.org and please give credit due love and honor to our other sponsors we have pain zone check them out at ipainzone.com and get some free samples they also sponsor our pain zone finish at the end of the episode and check out the miracle wave You can look at their website at TheMiracleWave.com. The Miracle Wave is a cutting-edge acoustic treatment solution which utilizes sound waves or acoustic pulses to initiate healing effects within the body, and you can find out more at the website. Uh, Last and not least, I want to make sure that we mention Forward 19, the uh, annual convention of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Uh, You can check that out at our website, ForwardThinkingChiro.com, the annual convention link. Uh, You can get information about the continuing education credits available, the speakers, including our keynote speaker, Gray Cook, PT, and all the others that are lined up and the social events we have. You don't want to miss it. People who missed last year's really missed out. F-O-M-O, FOMO, my friends, fear of missing out. You don't want to miss out like the people did last year. Uh, In addition, uh, you can check out the tickets By the time you are hearing this, hopefully you'll hear it before the early bird expires, which is June 2019. The event itself is September 20th through the 22nd, 2019, and I hope to see you there because we're going to have a great time. We're going to learn a lot. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Mark King, and I will talk to you later. Bye. All right, everybody. Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, straight out of Portland, Oregon, and I'm here with our guest, Dr. Mark King, who is straight out of
0: Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Ohio.
1: Excellent. Uh, tell me, well, let's do this because some people, shame on them, do not know who you are, but uh, tell me your, your quote-unquote chiropractic story.
0: Uh, well, I've been a chiropractor now for 31 years, approximately, and I'm, I'm married to a chiropractor, and I, my brother's a chiropractor, so we're all in practice together, and we have a 8 DC practice, we have three DPTs, so we have a big kind of group practice here in Cincinnati, and um, uh, we started, it, like I say, back in uh, 1987, and so I got involved really heavy with MPI in '94, and I've been involved with it ever since. I became president in 2001. I've continued in that capacity since then, and we have still doing our classes all over the world as much as we can keep up with it. And so I'm in private practice and I'm doing MPI. So it, it keeps you keeps you on the run.
1: When it comes to Motion Palpation Institute, what has changed over the years?
0: Well, uh, some of the basic principles are the same. A lot of the basic principles, because one of the things I always thought was great, that Dr. Faye, started with was this kind of never, never ending, uh, continuous learning idea that we were always going to keep studying and reading and learning from each other. And, and I thought that was a really great, uh, concept that Dr. Faye came up with originally. And he, um, pushed that idea that we would, you know, continue to try and prove, you know, like he sometimes says who in a class, who, you know, who came to chiropractic school to be mediocre. So, and of course, no one was going to raise their hand on that. I'd hope to dear God, but anyway, um, you know, so we're constantly trying to improve and learn and evolve. So when I got out of school and first started taking MPI classes toward the end of school and into my early practice, it was all about palpate and adjust. And now we, ne- you know, we need to incorporate some of the other things. We have so many cool tools now that can, that are in addition to our adjusting, whether it's, uh, you know, DNS rehab or some of the soft tissue techniques. I mean, there wasn't much in the way of soft tissue when I graduated uh, nutrition has come a long way, you know, the whole anti-inflammatory nutrition stuff that uh, David Seaman always talks about, for example. And, um, you know, so we, we just have a lot more tools. And so we, you know, how are you going to incorporate all that stuff into your day-to-day practice?
1: Well, what do you think? I mean, you can separate, I, I don't know if you can separate uh, MPI attendees, um, people who've, who've attended courses, multiple courses, and people who haven't. I don't know if you can. But do you think that never ending learning attitude sticks after they've attended a course? Do you think that is present in our profession in general?
0: Well, there's a percentage of people that's absolutely present. And there are, you you know, you know, a lot of those people just like I do that, uh, you know, we're buddies with or we've, you know, colleagues we've met or whatever. Those guys, those people. I like
1: those people, yes.
0: Oh, they're very attractive people to be around. They're just curious and they're just interested. You know, I, I I'm 31 years in, like I said, and I'm you know jokingly embarrassed about all the things I still don't know, and <laughs> I'm still going trying to learn as fast as I can, and I think that's part of the reason why I like staying involved with MPI, and, and you know I'm of course the the old guy in the group, and I like being around all those young people. I learn from them. We have interns in our clinic a lot of times. Um, you know, we've had some superstar young interns here, and I learn from them and. Uh, you know, d- just that continuous learning is a sweet thing.
1: Do you feel like that is? Do you feel like that that is a a challenge to the profession when when doctors start to get older or more seasoned that they're less um, inclined to learn new things or they're they, they sort of get stuck in what they're what they're doing. You know, that's uh,
0: yes is the short answer. Um, this, but you know, if you don't actually continue to try to improve, I don't know if you ever read that. Uh, uh, Anders Ericsson book on peak, but he talked about peak, medical yeah. doctors. Did you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, he talks about these medical doctors that uh, I'm, I'm short circuiting his whole long descriptions, but basically if they don't continue to try to improve, if they don't continue to learn and study, they're not as good at age 50 as they were at age 30, for example. So if you're not trying to improve, you're getting worse. So, in our world, with all our manual stuff, if you're not trying to uh, improve on your manual skills, you're gonna lose them. So, you know, that's kind of my knock on online classes, <clears throat> excuse me, on online classes. I know that they they can be great, but at some point it's good to go in there and, you know, work on your chiropractic brethren and, and work on improving uh, your manual skills. As just an example, obviously MPI is biased toward that, because that's a big focus of ours, but I'm just saying that if you don't take the time to improve, if you don't take the time to learn more, you get worse. It's not as simple as, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to tread water till I retire. You're, you're less of a chiropractor at 60 than you were at 40 if you don't take the classes and, and study and talk with people and, and keep trying to expand your knowledge.
1: Well you're saying this as a as a man who's a chiropractor who's married to a chiropractor who's in a family of chiropractors but you're also in a profession that has an element that says it is what it is and you know like I don't I don't have to improve on what it is because it is what it is so why would I need to improve on that it's like the dichotomy there seems interesting to me
0: well on the one hand um, you know, the world is very interested in manipulation, right? They're more and more every day. They're getting more interested in it. You know, like, wow, these chiropractors have something kind of cool. And so there's MDs and PTs and DOs taking manipulation courses all the time and, and trying. But the, the way you learn, the way I always go back, I'm a clinician. So I'm always going to go back to clinical things. So I go back and I look back 30 years ago on some patients Who Some of them are still patients, but maybe I had a patient that had such and such a problem and I didn't know how to diagnose it properly, or I should have been doing some soft tissue when I was just adjusting, or I should have done a rehab when I was only doing whatever. And then, so I look back and I was like, wow, I I could have done that better.
1: So Yeah, sometimes you get lucky, they come back a year later and you're like, I'm so happy you came back, I learned something new. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah exactly that's definitely cool when that happens um but yeah you know you you, but you see things and you say well wait a minute I don't have it all figured out so what I'm saying is as much as I'm like a nut for chiropractic and and, um I just think it's just awesome I love chiropractors and and I I find them fascinating and I think the whole thing of the opportunity to learn and the conservative approach but in our our primary tools is is the, the this adjustment but I don't think that's all there is. I just, you know, I know, I know you understand where I'm coming from on that. But I, obviously, that's not that's not enough. So how do we? And this is part of what MPI's job is create these great palpate and adjust people, but help them to be able to incorporate these other very important components into their other modalities into their uh, treatment protocol, so they can do well in 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 private practice. And that was really Faye's big push. Was he wanted them to have clinical success, which ultimately would lead to some financial success, because if you don't have any financial success, then you don't stay in business and you go do something else.
1: Oh, yeah. This specific topic that we're talking about here, not not being amenable to change or improvement over time, it relates to business, absolutely, because I know people who run their practices on a certain business model, and they're unwilling to change that model because they're afraid of change as well.
0: Well, yeah. You, you, you either... You know, either you embrace change or you get change forced on you. It's coming, <laughs> and think about now what's going, what's going to happen over the, you know, the next ten years and twenty. It's going to just accelerate even more. Yeah. So if you say, you know, I just wish things were the way they were. Well, that's fine. You can wish that on you, but it doesn't matter what you wish. It's going to go forward like like well,
1: what's just nonstop, whether you like it or not. Absolutely.
0: Whether you like it or not. So my point is, hey, there's a lot of cool things to learn. I'm going to embrace it as best I can.
1: With all those cool things to learn, and, and I've had other uh, MPI laureates on the podcast. Can we call them that? Brett Winchester, Jason Holm. That's awfully um, <laughs>
0: complimentary, but okay.
1: <laughs> uh, but we've, we've, broached, we've broached subject of, uh, with all these uh, amazing things to learn to add to your tool bag, how do you prevent yourself from just throwing everything at the wall and hoping something sticks?
0: Right. And that's a really good question. And I know that guys run into that all the time. And that, that creates a, um, a recipe for, for, for a mess when you get in practice. It really does. You, at some point, you've got to pick your weapons. Uh, Brett Winchester's got a great slide uh, when he teaches in it. And it's uh, it should, something to the effect of uh, my bias. And he lists MPI and he's a DNS instructor. Mm-hmm. So that's his bias. So he's kind of picked what he does and he's going to be biased toward that. Now, does he do some other things? Of course, but he's especially oriented to adjusting and DNS rehab. Now, so at some point you've got to pick your weapon. So, and I always say, you know, if there's five or six, I always call it the modern chiropractor. If there's six things that are involved that you can do, um, you know, you can do adjustments, you can do rehab, you can do soft tissue, you can stretch shorten muscles. You can do DNS. You can do end range loading, like what they teach at McKinsey. If you um, have, you're not going to be great at all of those. You're just not. You can you can be good at, good th- good at them and great at some of them, but there's too many. It, all I have to do is pick nutrition. It's just such a ginormous topic that you, if you're going to be really great at nutrition, it takes a lot of time, a lot of reading, a lot of effort to become really good at that. So yeah. You, you, but you have to narrow it down. And this comes back to this thing that I'm always preaching about with this, Bobby, is this idea that you do this great exam and then you pick the tool or tools, a couple of tools that are best for, for that specific patient. On, on Mr. Jones, I think he needs to be adjusted and he has to go on an anti-inflammatory diet. Boom, let's do that. Um, it's not as important that he does some of these other tools. Those are going to be my best bang for the buck. Because the reality is, you don't, you, you know, you've got to do it in a time efficient and clinically effective manner. I mean, I, I have that slide in my lectures all the time. All my reps make fun of me because they see that slide every time. And I, every time I say, this is the only slide that matters in my entire lecture. You have to be able to be clinically effective and you have to be time efficient. Nothing else matters. Now, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but it's an important point. And, and, and to answer your question about throwing everything up there against it that sticks, That is, that's why I said that's a great question. And what I say, my answer is, even though it's sometimes difficult, is do the great exam, pick the things that that are most important and go to those, and then don't do all 15 things you know how to do. Pick the one or two or three that are most important for that patient, and that will lead you down a a successful clinical path.
1: Absolutely. We we could probably end the podcast right there.
0: (laughs) and that's i'm very uh, i'm very um you know passionate about this idea of doing this great exam uh, and patients yeah. appreciate it when you oh, yeah. they know you're trying to figure out what's going on with them um, if they have the sense that you do the same thing on every patient on every visit every time they a lot of them will see through that and and if they see that you're actually trying to figure out what's going on with them that they're appreciative and they're impressed and they want to refer their family and friends deal.
1: Now, speak on that. Well, uh, you already did. It, it's, it, 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 it applies clinically and it applies business-wise because if you're efficient, you can run a more efficient business and you can produce a reproducible product uh, and, and with, with some high quality. Uh, where does MPI fit into this? Does MPI, do you guys hone down on the really good exam? Tell me, yeah. tell me, like, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate or layman. Oh, you know what? I'll admit that I am actually a layman. I've only witnessed some MPI classes. I've never actually attended one. Okay, so. Uh, and when I was a student, I assumed that MPI just meant motion palpation only. It was kind of like a what's-in-a-name scenario. Like mm-hmm. motion palpation, I don't have, the, I don't have the, uh, the appetite to just learn motion palpation from motion palpation people, not realizing that I was missing out on a big chunk of everything else.
0: Well, that, I think that's not an unusual uh, thought on that because, uh, the name, you know, it's in the name. I mean, that's what we're going to, we're going to sit down and we're going to palpate people all day and, and we do more than that. So we do like, for example, our functional screens in our integration classes or, or our specialty classes, like we have uh, you know, a gate and shoulder class and just, uh-huh. we do some functional screens with that. Um, I always offer my, um, when I teach a class, I always tell the attendees, you know, you can, um, Email me, I'll send you my upper quadrant or lower quadrant exam sheet. And, you know, I make a big deal out of the idea that my, my exam sheet, it flows. In other words, my, my, my exam flows. So, in other words, I do my consultation, and then I start right in with a posture exam, and I have my patient walk up and down the halls once or twice and get an idea of their gait, and then I go right into what we're going to do standing then I'm going to have them sit down and I'm going to do whatever. Maybe I'm going to check their reflexes seated or I'm going to do a a seated straight leg raising test, you know, a slump test or, or whatever I'm going to do seated. Then I go supine and I go through whatever I'm going to do there. Then I go prone. Then I, if I need them on a side, I put them on the side, then I sit them up and check motion palpation and respiration and I'm done. So there's no wasted time. My exam sheet flows the same way so that it flows from a, uh, uh, you know, an efficiency efficiency standpoint, and that also matches up with my electronic health records. So I match my exam with my exam sheet with my electronic health records. So when I put in my information, boom, I can do it in a bang, 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 bang order, and it's and then it's done. So the idea being, uh, yeah, can I how how efficient can I be on this? How how can I knock this thing out and get the information that I need? And so my exam, I do the same neuro exam that you do or orthopedic test that you do, but I, uh, and everyone has their favorite functional screens. That's fine. I do my motion palpation. <clears throat> um, and, and then I put that all together. You know, some people check gait, some people don't. I use gait mostly to kind of clue me in on areas that I want to, you know, magnify and exaggerate with some of my functional screens or palpation. So my point is, is that it, it, I want it to flow, and then I want it to narrow down where I, what I need to focus in on, and then I can go from there. And I'm and I'm efficient with that. So MPI helps uh, teach the functional screens. It teaches the palpation. It teaches, say, respiration in, in the, one of the integration in, in both of the integration classes, and Perfect. then Good. talks about how do you incorporate that into your uh, care plan. Care plans is another one of my hangups, by the way. So. Uh,
1: <laughs> please please elaborate because we don't discuss care plans very often. Okay. So, you know, the specter in the room, you know,
0: I don't know if you know how we do this, but in our, on our chiropractic cities, we have uh motion palpation student reps and they help us organize our classes. And I don't know if you do the FTCA yet, yet or not, but they, they help, they work for MPI and, and, and then we, they help us get things organized. So we get to know these guys, uh, really well. Like, uh, for example, Brett Winchester, you mentioned, uh, Jess, Jason Hulme, you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. Corey Campbell, on oh, down. No, the, the, a lot of these guys were, were uh, MPI reps as students. And they, uh, so, so my point is, they, some of them uh, get some repetition from me. Like, how, how about if I say it that way? But my point on the care plans is, so so sometimes young docs struggle with this because, th- you know, the chiropractic reputation is we over treat, right? We we put people on three times a week for three years and whatever. So it's crazy. You know, we put them on ca- crazy care plans. So so then we overreact. And my, so I have a couple of points on that. One is you're not going to take the 50 year old iron worker who comes in with five years of back pain and, and you're not going to treat him twice. And he's going to be all better from, especially from a functional standpoint. And you might say, oh yeah, that gave me some relief. I like that. You might get lucky and you might say it will help for a little while, but I always have the same thing. You undertreat those people and what they do is they don't get better and they don't come back and they don't refer anybody else. So that's not a recipe for building a practice. So my thing is these guys want care plans. So sometimes young students, uh, young docs say to me that, you know, I feel like a salesman sometimes. I never feel like a salesman. All I tell them is what I would want told to me. So I never feel like I'm selling. So uh, I, they want, these patients want a plan. So uh, they say, well, what if they, well, you know, what if they say no? What, you, know, you tell them that you want to see them three times a week for three weeks, for example, and they, they don't want to do it. I said, you know, I don't know. I, I, they never say no. They always just say, okay. Mm-hmm. They, they want a plan. Now, different. I have different plans depending on what's going on. You know, it varies a little bit. It might be twice a week for two weeks. If it's severe, three times a week for four weeks. I have different ones for different conditions. And everybody's got theirs. So I don't need to get into a, a discussion about what's the right amount because, it, you know, it depends a little depends. bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I'm not saying I own the, the, the only way to do that. That's not my point at all. My point is your patients want a plan. They want to have, what are we going to do about this? I, I, I'm not sleeping at night. My hip is killing me, whatever their hip is. It might be several different things. But, you know, but they say their hip is killing them. They can't sleep at night, and I can't walk up the steps without pain, or, or I can't play soccer, whatever it is. What, what's the plan here, Doc, is what they're thinking. And if you give them a plan, they say, okay, yeah, I, I like that. Now, they may think you're, they, they, they don't like you, or they, they may think that you're crazy. or what, okay, so, Well, they're not going to follow through on what you do, but they, but they want a plan. Right. Then a little bit of exaggerated analogy. If you went to an oncologist because you had some type of cancer and he said, you know, let's just kind of see how things go. If you're not feeling better next week, come see me. <laughs> you know, that you would think he was crazy. You, no, doc, tell me the plan here. I got, I've got some kind of cancer. What, what do you think I, we should do here? So I say that as an exaggeration, but your patients want a plan too.
1: It's leadership, they want leadership,
0: they want leadership. That's exactly what they want. They want somebody to help guide them on what to do. So, uh, you could, it, this is in any business, and it's not, not unique to chiropractic.
1: Yep, you'd want the same from your accountant, um, Bingo. an attorney, all that stuff. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly. The, that's exactly the hey, deal. You and know, so-
1: send me your 1099s and your W 2s and all that, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. Right, that would be terrifying.
0: <laughs> that would be making a nervous wreck. So, so what I say to these guys is, what is worse to treat somebody too much or too little? And the answer is, I don't know. It's neither one's right. Just pick whatever you think is the right amount, and then offer them that, and explain it, and then they can do the patient can do what they want. But you at least have told them the right thing, what you think in your heart of hearts, and you're not just uh, making something up. And they, they walk out saying, okay, here's the game plan. It's
1: a real subtle dance, right? Like we are on a never-ending pursuit of sort of like a perfection or the exact answer or the exact right way to do things. But we also have to be pretty honest that these are manual therapies with human organisms and there is no perfection. You know, you take, for instance, the actual act of motion palpation itself and how much it gets beat up in the literature about not being a reliable way to go. How how you know how could it ever be reliable? What 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 does MPI say to the criticism of motion palpation itself as as a tool in clinical evaluation when it gets beat up by skeptics or or right you know, the literature or whatnot.
0: Right. So, so one, it's, it's a hard thing to study. You know, they did a good job with it, with that gold standard uh, congenital block vertebrae with the guys up at CMCC a number of years ago that they had better reliability because you take out the variables. And the example I use all the time, Bobby, is that if, if I have a patient lying on the, and I use this all the time. You have a patient prone and we're going to, we have 10 docs here. who are going to all see which leg is short on this patient. So the first guy goes up and says, okay, the left leg's an inch short. Okay, got it. Now, before the next guy comes up, though, you go up and you palpate the SI joints. You kind of spring along the upper through the thoracics. You uh, mobilize the upper cervical area. Oh, okay, now second guy come up and you tell me what the leg length deal is. It's not going to be an inch. I mean, it's rarely it's an inch, but I'm using this as a graphic, but it, it's going to be half an inch. It's going to be an inch and a half. Something's going to change with that mobilization of that spine. The leg length will change. So now if I didn't touch him, the next guy would come up and say, "Yeah, it's an inch." The next guy would come up and say, "Yeah, it's an inch," and you would get you would get that uh, pretty good consist, pretty close to consistency. But if you go up and palpate that, it changes the spine. So just the act of mirror act of motion palpating uh, a spine before the next guy does, it's a different spine. Because um, uh, a lot of times mobiliz, I use mo- mobilization all the time with patients. Is it as effective as a, a, a normal uh, high velocity adjustment? Not not neurologically, but it depends on what the patient, what if they're frail, what if they're afraid? Yeah. You know, what if whatever, those so mobilizations. Similar
1: you know, what, to McKinsey's uh, progression of forces. You bingo. Know, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea is that um, it's, it's going to be a hard thing to study and it's always going to be a hard thing to study. Uh, but if you go, at the, some of this, um, I, you're not supposed to do this where you don't have the, the study at the tip of your tongue. I didn't know you're going to ask me this question, but the idea of, the, uh, you know, what's the stiffest area we do better on that. So
1: yeah. yeah. Um, um, I think Cooperstein did an uh, inter examiner reliability study on that.
0: So, so the idea is that, uh, and everyone
1: was very confident that they found the right area.
0: Yeah. So the, is the right SI fixated compared to the left, for example. And uh, you know, that's a good measure, especially that asymmetry is a bigger problem than, than perfectly symmetrical, whatever the amount of stiffness is. So, um, and as you go along, the uh, you know, you do get better and better at, at at your palpation. And one of the problems with MPI is we have a bunch of clinicians as instructors who are doing this every day in clinic, and we're not really researchers. Yeah. Who oh, can sure. do sure. who can do this, to do the proper research on this. So we're in a little bit of a quandary on this to pursue this further, like who is doing the palpating and um you know what's their skill level and so on but i think that the idea that that, that i think it's going to be a really hard thing to study um uh, per se but uh, you know if you think about it what are we trying to do typically with some we're trying to make it so they can move more easily with less pain well right. it seems like a logical thing would be to find the area that's that that's not moving properly and and I'll help that move and 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 see what that does to them i mean i can tell you from just experience i don't, i I like to get adjusted. I can move and work better when I get adjusted. Um, no one seems to fix me. I've got, you know, we all have our stuff, right? But I sure function well as a 59-year-old guy working hard. I um, It keeps me going. But um, but to your original point, yeah, it's going to tr- be a tricky one to, to study uh, the way we would like. It, it, well, it,
1: Stu McGill has a very interesting take on it because in his courses, he's trying to teach clinical mastery, right? and uh so when when broach one of his assessment uh tools when he's trying to assess for lumbar instability is a palpation is an approach to palpation uh you know a static palpation and then having the person tense their their uh, lumbar stabilizers and then palpate again and see if you can reproduce or the symptoms or not <laughs> and, and what he sort of tries to explain in this process is a it is not a reliable test, and it gets beat up as not being reliable, so therefore not valid, but he's saying that, that a master, so someone who's a master of palpation or a master of their clinical skills will be able to pick up these tools, and someone who isn't won't, and the problem with some research studies is you have to cater your results down to the average or the mean, and and he's not catering his examinations to the mean, he's catering them to the to the exemplary or the masters, so
0: and one of the things with with Dr. McGill that's you know he's always been he's always pushed this idea of we need more lumbar st- stiffness. He uses the phrase lumbar stiffness. What he means yeah. is more core stability, let's say, or more uh, more strength there, less and
1: extraneous abdominal. movement. Sure, uh-huh.
0: yeah, and, and and better mobility in our hips. In uh, you might say hips and SIs, but he says hips. So kind of that. Those are classic areas that need to be. More mobile, stiff hips and stiff thoracolumbar junction. I mean, who do yep. you ever find that on your patients? Well, the obvious answer is if you not find it on your patient, then you're not checking. You're not seeing many patients because lots of our patients have stiff hips and a weak core. They, you know, for the easy example to pick on is somebody who works at a desk all day and um, they just don't have that strength in the right areas and they don't have that flexibility in the right areas. And I think McGill was really on to the right thing there.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm more speaking to his idea of, of the difference between a clinical master, someone who's mastered their art, versus somebody who, who just has not yet or, or has refused to. And I think you're going to get different results. You know, and there's some people who, who sort of say that their, their adjusting skills are exemplary over other people. And uh, I used to, maybe when I was younger, be like, eh, an adjustment is an adjustment, but I don't feel that way at all anymore. I think there's people that are really, really skilled at delivering it, and there are people who are who are not.
0: Well, I know from from what happens is, um, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're a student, you might get a bad adjustment or two while you're in school. No way, man. <laughs> and then what happens after you get out, like, uh, I don't mean to sound like a jerk here, but, you know, if this long, I, I don't want a bad adjustment. Like these, I have a bunch of rock star chiropractors around me that man, it's some good stuff. And I don't really want to just have some guy that doesn't know what the heck he's doing, wailing on me, not no assessment and just guessing. And, you know, if motion palpation, if anything, it's, 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 it's certainly uh, not guessing. You think you have a system and um, some of the guys are just guessing and, and I just don't want that adjustment anymore.
1: Yeah. I've, I've had those adjustments and from docs in the field. I've had the, the one where they just hit that spot. They know will make a popping sound.
0: Right. The, the, the measure of success, you know, yeah. oh, I made a
1: noise. But that's not where I needed, you know, you, you, yeah. you tend to know in your own body where you need some work. Right. Like you right. missed the spot. Right. Now I have to make the choice as the person on the table. Do I, do I have to say out loud to you? Do I have to be the rude guy and be like, you missed it? Try again? Or <laughs> just sort of look at him and be like, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That was, that was, that was yeah, that was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, well, there's a commercial out now. It talks about you know whatever the business is that that he's just okay. And oh, yeah, <laughs> there's uh, there's that
1: there's that component. Don't be that guy or gal. Don't be that guy. <laughs> now there's this other component to MPI that I never really understood, and it's sort of it 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 it's. I don't want to call it a philosophy, but there is a, a way of life that is being taught through Motion Palpation Institute to its students. Would you disagree with that? A way of being, a way of thinking or operating?
0: Um, I'm not sure I understand. Explain, explain what you're...
1: Um, like, I, 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 always, I always thought that MPI was sort of like you learned a technique, and then you you got in, you learned your technique, took your class, and you left. But there's also sort of a um, a mentorship that's involved. Uh, I wouldn't say you're teaching a philosophy, but you're teaching a way that people should approach how they care about people within the chiropractic profession.
0: Well, we okay. I'm sorry, I was a little slow on the uptake there. Yeah, we're you know kind of this uh, Corey
1: a Cam- culture and a community and all
0: yes, okay, yes. I'm sorry, I was a little slow on the uptake. But Corey Campbell really st- started pushing this idea of um, uh, you know, clinical mastery. Sure. Uh, that we've talked about that now. And then this idea is, is, is uh, we're not just going to follow a cookbook and take the easiest path And we're, and then we're, are we going to leave this, our profession and our community better in this world, better than when we left it. So this idea that like we were talking about a little bit earlier, are we going the extra mile to be the exceptional guy? So, so I always knew, when I started, uh, you know, I came, (laughs) when I started, I I look back now, it it is funny to me that I, you know, I just never, the idea that I would struggle and practice or not have good success, I I just never even considered it. I I just didn't know that was one of the possibilities. I know how naive and stupid I sound right now, but I'm just telling you, I, I just really kind of thought that. But I also always knew that I could kind of outwork anybody else. I knew that I could I could, I could grind. That's another word that you'll hear from Corey Campbell a lot is, you know, can, do you grind and and not in a negative way, but in a good way, like I'm cool with the grind. Like, you know, I know there's a lot of Tom Brady haters out there, but he grinds, he likes yeah. the grind. And, and, you know, these guys that are great and name your sport or name your, you know, your, your musician, your pianist, whatever they have to enjoy the grind. And if you enjoy the grind, then, uh, then you get better, and you can improve your patients. You can improve your community. So we one of my big th- things that makes me very happy is I like to brag about my MPI students, my former reps, or people, former students, or uh, other you know docs in the uh, community that I like to brag about them because I think and I am extremely proud of what they bec- Many of them become, and lots of them become. Fantastic. The idea that they are better than I was at that stage, like they're just better docs than I was at the same stage. And I just have a lot of pride in that. So there's a, you know, kind of a community of, uh, of us that we, and we kind of stick together. And um, there's a certain level of pride knowing that, Hey, I work hard and I'm, I'm trying to be clinically excellent. You, You don't have to be perfect at everything, but you know, you're, you're part of the group that's trying to go that direction. That was a longer answer than you were looking for. but No, that's... no,
1: no, that's good. Um, I've got three final questions for you. Fire away. These will be fun. You have in front of you a doe-eyed, wide-eyed, innocent chiropractic student, a blank slate, and you can tell them anything you'd like about chiropractic and what you've learned along the way. They're asking you for their advice. They caught you at a seminar and they said, please tell me something. Just like they catch Gary Vaynerchuk in the hallway and say, please, Gary V, tell me something that'll give me value? What would you tell a student?
0: Well, okay. Um, first of all, I think they, uh, they they, I, th- I think they have a good opportunity here. It's a good, might be a really good time to be a chiropractor, a student kind of going in the, the, the problem, the, the negative side is real quick tangent is this, the student loan debt. I'm very concerned about that because Absolutely. that's a big burden for these, these young docs. It's, it, it i really, i really, I hate that really, that they come out owing that much money because it's, you know, it's like a house or something, you know? Um, Absolutely. House payment. And so I worry about that. But that aside, I, I feel like there there is such a niche for um, having a great uh, career and calling in this in this profession if you are willing to do the extra work to become clinically outstanding. So I guess my short answer would be, you know, get become really good. It doesn't have to be motion palpation. Admittedly, I, I'm biased. It doesn't have to be DNS. Admittedly, I'm biased. Whatever your bias is, become that guy or gal that you are the, the exceptional in the community. And again, I don't mean to brag on these uh, these MPI docs, but some of the, my students come out and they're going into XYZ community. They know they're going to be the only doc in their community that's going to that, that's going to be exceptionally good at examining their patients and doing this, a good adjustment and whatever other manual stuff they want. So I guess right now, my big thing would be uh, become exceptional clinically and, and, and then uh, things will fall into place for you.
1: And embrace that grind.
0: And embrace that grind. That's a, a Corey Campbell, that's a great one. <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, he got it from, I forget now who, but it, it's, uh, it's, I love when he talks about that.
1: I'll get him on the podcast too. I like him a lot.
0: Yeah, he's awesome.
1: The next question is the same scenario, catching you in the hall, asking for some advice, but now it's a 10 years in, 15 years in Cairo who's kind of burnt out and they don't know what to do next with their career or their life.
0: Uh, Short and sweet. Either decide that this is not interesting enough for you and go do something else because you're still young, you're only 35, you're 40, there's still plenty of time to do something else. Or go back and start taking some stuff, some classes, take a business class, take a uh, clinical class, do something, go to a Parker seminar, uh, do something that's going to get you interested again, and and test to see if your enthusiasm can be renewed, because it very well likely will, and if it doesn't, then it's time to walk away sell the practice, go do something else. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be a chiropractor to, to have a great life. It's just one option. And I think you, you, go, you go back and you study and see if that rekindles the fire. Like the way they have it now, I mentioned Parker, because uh, uh, you know with Dr. Morgan taking over down there at Parker, these, I, hadn't, I didn't used to go to Parker and I, I've taught there a couple of times now. And there are clinical classes, there's business classes, there's enthusiasm, there's just, the place is jacked up. I'm just yeah. throwing out there as one example. I, you know, there's lots of examples. My point is, is that if you take something, you can test yourself to see if that's going to get your, your, you get yourself renewed for, uh, and back into this. Because for me, I just am still. I'm like I said earlier in this interview. I'm still trying to learn faster, and so I'm <laughs> still interested. So I've got you know I've got my big stack of papers I should be reading instead of ta- instead of so talking. talking to me. <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got my stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get caught up on all the time. And I like that. And I've set some time aside, you know, uh, during the week where I can do that reading and, and it keeps me uh, engaged. And I'm around a lot of docs who we, we banter all the time about cases and whatever. It keeps me interested. But for that guy, again, too long of an answer. But the short answer is go test the waters. Take a few, take something different. Let's say you're straight, you adjust, and nothing else. Then take a DNS class, take a soft tissue class, do a nutrition class, and then see if that renews your energy. And if it doesn't, move on.
1: So we can't even talk legacy with you at all. You're not near the legacy stage yet.
0: No, <laughs> I'm getting. I told my. I'm 59. As I mentioned, I told my staff a couple of years ago. I said I'm going to reevaluate when I turn 75. I'll see what. The, <laughs> I'll see what's going on. When I'm 75, uh, I'll, uh, I'll kind of see what, what, what I should do. I might cut, start cutting back at that point. Uh,
1: final question. Uh, it's not even a question of whether the pref- profession is winning or, uh, quote, unquote, losing at this point. We're winning. There's a lot of victories. On a weekly, monthly, annual basis, we are winning. We're doing really good things regardless of the negativity that anyone wants to bring up. But what else do you think we can do as a profession to win overwhelmingly?
0: I, I like the idea of our, uh, our associations kind of constantly working to get us more proper uh, reimbursement for what we do. Because some guys just say, I don't care what the reimbursement is. I haven't run a cash practice. And that, of course, is fine. But for the ones that don't run a cash practice, I, I would like there to be a better, more equitable uh, reimbursement. Um, so I would like like the American Chiropractic Association or my Ohio State Chiropractic Association to, to really um, make that their kind of legislative uh, focus. Like now, the ACA is is working on this Medicare deal, um, you know, because Medicare you know does adjustments and subluxations and nothing else. And you know the the fact that that's still the case, you know, is kind of mind bending to me. I just you know the so so I have to tell you this quick story so i had an elderly couple in recently who a wonderful couple and they um <clears throat> so they they're older let's say 85 or 90 and they're they're really nice but they have they have chronic pain now they've got terrible joints and backs and you know stuff and they're 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 really trying to figure out things to do and they and they and they and they, and they uh the adjustments help some and and they've gone i've had them see physical therapy that helps some and um they're interested in acupuncture, they're interested in CBD oil, they're interested in anti-inflammatory nutrition, all of which they will pay for with cash. But they said, in that's my most recent visit, uh, yeah, but we, we've got, our doc gave us some tramadol. And um, I said, oh, okay, um, what's the deal on, you know, and they said, well, it helps, it helps us sleep, and they said, we can get enough for 10 bucks, we can get a, a three-month supply. So they can go to the acupuncturist for depends on what part of the country you're in. You can go for, you know, 80 bucks or hundred bucks or whatever the cost is. I don't know. And, or you can buy a big bag full of vitamins and, and or you can go uh, get some CDB oil. Hopefully you don't take it on the airplane. You'll get arrested. Um, <clears throat> hopefully I'll change all changes soon. But my point is that's all cash. And, and, you know, we have this, we have this opioid crisis going on and yet they can get all the tramadol they need for, for for 10 bucks and um and and the the stuff that's more conservative they they have to pay cash for because you know they're seeing me you know that it basically covers their adjustment uh if they come in you know kind of randomly and nothing else so um now i can't remember what your original question was i went off on a tangent
1: how do we win how do we win
0: How do we, well, so for us, I would like us, I, I would, the two things is the clinician can, can continue to try to be really good and the, the, our associations can continue to try to improve the uh, reimbursement for what we do. So that's what I would, that would be, be my focus.
1: And we have to also be, uh, we also have to help our associations out by being responsible with the alternatives that we provide and making sure we're providing them for the, the right purposes. You don't have to say the word evidence-based, but the right tool is selected for the right problem. And, and so that these decisions are really easy to make, you know, right. It's right. Sort of like one thing like CBD oil for everybody is not the same as CBD oil for the right situations. Yes. Good and, point. And yeah. that can affect, that can affect perception of why we use alternatives um, versus uh, just trying to sort of make a buck, I guess you can right. say.
0: Well, the thing is on the CBD oil, the reason I use that as an example is this couple, they're taking, they, they got some. Uh, they right. got it online somewhere and they were- It sounds like
1: they're doing the supermarket approach. They're trying whatever they possibly can to help right. with this issue.
0: Right. And so, and, and my point is we know that Tramadol is a, has some problems inherent with that, uh, with taking that on a regular basis. We know that. The CBD, well, I know that people are going to say, well, you know, the evidence isn't clear. I know. I'm just telling you what these people are doing.
1: Yeah. Oh, and,
0: totally. uh, uh, you know, uh, not everything is completely clear at this point and yet you're looking for something you're looking for some kind of help somehow. So they just went, they didn't ask me. They just went online and looked up CBD and tried it. Because I think he said his brother or his friend or somebody told him about it and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, they bought CBD online.
1: That's what human beings are going to do. Bless their hearts. And that's what Dr. Scott Haldeman pointed out, is that when, when people are suffering from multi, musculoskeletal pain and they don't have a proper solution and proper leadership, they take a supermarket approach. They go, they try every single thing they possibly can. And my my interpretation of how we win is that we take leadership of this epidemic, and, and we show them the proper ways to control these these things instead of having to go to a supermarket approach. We're the leaders,
0: right? Right, and that takes you know continuous education and keep putting the word out. And that's why I, I like I encourage the docs out there listening. Join your associations. Give them some, you know, give them some uh, money, and even just like Joe, I you know a while back I joined the FTCA. You, did? you know, the reason is, is that I know you guys are trying to do good things. And so if you have some money, then you can do more things. So it's just, you're just we one can. example. Uh, the ACA is an, the American Chiropractic Association is an example. I've been a member of my Ohio State Association, well, and the ACA for 31 years. I joined it right out of school and I've never not been even though sometimes I didn't agree with everything they did uh, but hey either put up or shut up if I don't like what they did they're doing maybe I need to get more involved but overall they're I think they're trying and I don't think it's an easy easy thing and it's uh I, I you know I don't want to be the the Monday morning quarterback I just uh you know I think it's important that we are you know together on some of this and we give and, and, and you put your money where your mouth is.
1: Absolutely. I just had a great thought and I completely forgot it. And that's how you know you're at the end of a podcast. <laughs> it was the one thought that was going to change the whole world and it's gone. Oh, well, it'll get to if the easy. After you hang
0: up, then it'll come back to
1: you. Right, right, right. Um, this, you're a legend, whether you want to accept that or not. Um, what can an old guy like me do? Can I take an MPI class and learn something from it?
0: What happens to to our docs that have been out for five or 10 or 15 years or 20 years? It's the same story. Every time they come back and they take a class and they say the same thing, man, it was really good to refresh. I, I wasn't checking, you know, this patient yeah. with this thing and it, and I can help her on Monday now because I forgot about that. That's a classic thing. I just taught a couple of classes with uh, the Ohio state chiropractic association asked me to teach a couple of classes here recently in Ohio, of course. And, um, I had all docs, and a lot of them were in varying ages, uh, from let's just say right out of school till you know in their seventies and um, I was very impressed with how interested they were in learning, and they you could see their minds, I know what they were thinking, oh yeah i am going to try that. I need to check that on Mrs. Jones on my, you know tomorrow kind of thing. You could see it, they always relate it to their clinical experience it's not just academic it is really what they're going to do. So they, they were, they were engaged. They like it. I would show them this adjustment. Maybe they didn't like that one. I would show them this rehab. Maybe they didn't like that one, but they liked the next one I showed. That's a better one for me. And you know what I mean? Like they were trying to figure it out and, and, but you knew they were applying it in their brains to their patients. And I just think that's cool. All
1: right. I'm, I'm convinced I'll take a cervical spine course as soon as I can. All right, man.
0: I was just, uh, I was just in Portland within the last year, um, we do classes out there, you know, at least two a year, typically three a year, and we have some really great reps out there who are really fun to be around, who I really am uh, entertained by, uh, Corey Campbell was just out there uh, last weekend, I last think. Last weekend, yep. Yeah, and um, you know, just, they, they're doing, that school does a good job, they just, they really do, they do a good job, and they're, they're doing their best, I mean, sooner or later you got to get out in the, in the real world and make it happen, but boy. The, uh, I I do think Western States is doing some good stuff.
1: They are the Harvard of chiropractic schools. (laughs) I've heard (laughs) you
0: say that before.
1: (laughs) That's the running joke, right? Every college is the Harvard of chiropractic. Every
0: college is the best college if that's the one you went to. I always joke that I went to life and, you know, I've recovered from that. But actually the truth is I had a great experience at life many years ago. And I, I had a couple of mentors that really just changed my life. And I I just really had a good experience while they were there, loved, love my classmates. And it was overall just a great experience for me. So I, um, you know, I think it comes down to the individual.
1: What do you think is the sentiment now? I mean, uh, I I imagine or I feel like in the old days, the old days, before the internet, let's say before the internet, like, we could all knock each other around about what school you went to or this or that or the other, but it was all a bunch of hucks and haws. And then you went and you had a beer afterwards and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. But now people are taking a little more personal, aren't they? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which is just so uh, we digging in a little too deep you know uh, and
0: you talk about for the schools or the
1: technique the schools and the techniques and the approaches it's like you
0: know I'm not a Gonstead practitioner and uh but I always you know we, we always had a friendly rivalry with Gonstead guys in, in 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 chiropractic school and you know I I my sister lived near a, a Gonstead guy when she was in Florida when she years ago and I you know I knew he was had a good reputation. I said, you know, this, this is going to be the guy to go to. He's going to do a good job. He's, he's going to give you a great adjustment. She loved to get adjusted. She knew she needed to blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I know that motion palpation is not the end all be all. I know it's not the only good approach. I, I get it. Uh, it works for me. It's one way to approach it. Uh, everybody, you know, it kind of creates the, the Bobby maybe, or the Mark King technique. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's what it really is. But, um, you know, you got to start somewhere and, you you know, you create a foundation and, you know, learn the basics and kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, we give each other too, too hard of a time.
0: Oh, I'd like to see less. <laughs> I just don't want to waste too much time on that. Even though I might disagree with, you know, you do this technique and I do that. Te- you know, are we, are we, you know, within reason? Within
1: reason, I think we all do a great job for the people we serve, except for the ones that are the standard deviations of, they fall out of the ethical spectrum or they're just straight up crooks. But that's so rare. And and, um, there's a spectrum of knowledge and there's a spectrum of capabilities, just like any other profession. Um, We're probably knocking each other a little too hard. Uh, But where I draw my line is I just can't tolerate uh, people without critical thinking skills is, is really hard for me.
0: Right, um, I know, I know. And, and, but the little things like um, whether you it would be a lot
1: better off if we all sort of thought a little better.
0: Yeah, I, I get you. But, uh, you know, the, part of that is, are you interested? See, so you're yeah. trying to figure it out. I'm trying yeah, to figure yeah. it out. Some people aren't trying to figure it out. That's part, part of the critical thinking comes after you say, wow, I don't let me think about that.
1: Hopefully, my detractors someday will at least admit that if they, even if they did not like me as a person, I was always on fire and clinic, uh, critically curious about this profession, and I do love the profession. Um, my point of view is through a completely different lens, though, of the cynic, and uh, we're important people to have in the world, but we're not always the ones you want to get into a discussion with because we're going to call you out.
0: <laughs> That's well said. Well said.
1: Um, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for all the things that you've done for this profession so far and that you will be doing in the future. Um, This is going down as one of our legend conversations. Uh, Whether you like us, whether you like it or not, you're a legend. Uh, So wear it. Wear it with pride. And um, I look forward to having more conversations with more MPI folks, including uh, Brett Winchester is going to be at Forward 2019 at Logan University, September 20th through the 22nd. Right. Um, uh, I love you guys. So, so keep up the good work,
0: Bobby. Great talking with you, man. Take care.
1: Yeah. Have a great one. All right. Bye now. Bye. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our interview with Dr. Mark King. And now it's time for the pain zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. We end each podcast with a finishing thought sponsored by pain zone check out your pain zone products at ipainzone.com build a great relationship with some great people Uh, they will not steer you wrong and uh, it's like uh, if you are a mom and pop type shopper and you want to buy your products from a mom and pop type supplier they are the ones to go to Um, so check them out they're not in big box stores they're not all over Uh, The internet's trying to sell as much as they possibly can. They're trying to deliver the best products to the people they feel are the best, which are you listeners of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. Okay, the finish, dun-dun-dun, for the Mark King podcast. Uh, You know, uh, these interviews have been going long, like uh, it seems like season two, we've had hour-long interviews, Uh, such wonderful people to talk to, it's it's, uh, hard to cut any of these things off short. Uh, but I think the over overbearing feeling that I get from interviewing Dr. King is one of standing on the shoulder of giants, and not that Dr. King is this completely hugely enigmatic guru type of person, but he just does things right he 's a great person to look up to because he leads by uh, doing and he leads with class and professionalism, and i don 't think uh, his professionalism can be ever. Um, doubted. So Motion Palpation Institute has some great things going on with the way that they provide leadership and the way that they provide content. Uh, And I'm excited to to do many things. Uh, One thing is Motion Palpation Institute provides content for Kevin Christie and I's Chiropractic Success Academy. Uh, So they're providing some clinical information to our members uh, Motion Palpation Institute, every now and again, we get somebody who's relayed to them who will speak, um, such as Brett Winchester at Forward 2019, and they're just an impressive presence on campuses teaching young doctors how to do things the right way. Um, so that's what I get is there's a lot to learn from people who are the quiet, sort of understated Professionals doing good work and setting a good example for young doctors in the future. So, always keep an eye on Dr. Mark King and what he's doing, and uh, you'll be in, in good hands when, when you're learning from him. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, we've got a couple great ones lined up coming on because we're going to start uh, really finishing this season strong, uh, particularly with interviews of people who are going to be presenting at Forward 2019. Uh, and you could check out more of that event at forwardthinkingcairo.com And uh, I think we've got another great cook podcast coming up because he wanted to come back on, but we've got a, quite a few before then. So enjoy the podcast as they come and um, I'll talk to you soon. Take care.